So to continue the reflection on the topic of dependent origination. In one in one place in the suttas, Ananda came to the Buddha and uh, Ananda has a kind of a very enthusiastic nature. That's my sense of Ananda in the little snippets of interchange between him and the Buddha and him and other of the uh, monastics. And uh, he's often expressing real delight in the Dharma. So that's dear to me. And in this exchange, Ananda comes to the Buddha and says, It is wonderful, Lord. It is marvelous how profound this dependent origination is and how profound it appears. And yet it appears to me as clear as clear. And uh, the Buddha says, Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. This dependent origination is profound and appears profound. It is through not understanding, not penetrating this, uh, this teaching, that this generation has become like a tangled ball of string, covered as with blight, tangled like with coarse grass, unable to pass beyond states of woe. And so the Buddha is just pointing to this is a very profound teaching. And while I mean, Ananda at that point was not an enlightened, uh, an, an arahant, he wasn't enlightened. And so the Buddha understood that, or the Buddha knew that he hadn't penetrated dependent origination. Perhaps he had understood some aspect of it or understood the sense of it. And, and yet it is, as he says, is profound and appears profound. It is through not understanding, not penetrating this teaching that we are tangled, caught in states of woe. So there are places and times that the true deep understanding of this teaching is connected with full liberation. So it's very worth understanding. And yet, we probably will only understand bits and pieces. But even little bits of understanding of this teaching are so powerful in terms of freeing our mind and helping us to see clearly. As I mentioned yesterday, just a little bit of a review from yesterday, this teaching um, describes the creation of suffering, how suffering comes to be in our minds. When suffering is happening, this process is unfolding. It describes conditions It's a conditioning process that leads to the arising of suffering. Conditions having the sense here that when something is conditioned, it is not um, it's not like deterministic because if the conditions change, the suffering can change. And yet certain conditions in this chain are so powerful that, or one condition in particular in this chain is so powerful that when it arises, suffering is there. And that condition is ignorance. Also to just remind the 
this process describes the process of how suffering is created, but also simultaneously describes how the sense of self is created and the belief in that sense of self, the kind of the reification of that sense of self. And so studying our suffering, we are studying selfing, and if we're studying selfing, we are studying, we're studying this process. Whenever there is a sense of self, whenever there is suffering, and we are looking at our experience, we are looking at some aspect of this chain. Yesterday, one of you asked about conditioning, the word conditioning, and just various ways in which that word is understood. And so I wanted to mention that here because there are many ways the that conditioning happens. And they're, they're all, or, or many of these are at play in this unfolding. And so just three in particular we'll look at, just explore briefly this notion of conditionality. One aspect of conditionality is is kind of, well, just the notion of conditioning. You know, when when something uh, happens, it it conditions or it's kind of, it's kind of um, heading us in a direction but may not be a direct cause for something to arise. So that's another aspect of conditionality is causality. And so while, for instance, conditions um, from our past create the likelihood for certain things to unfold, there can be other things happening. Like, for instance, if we are you know, my own, my own mind had this propensity towards self-hatred. And so the conditioning from the past when, uh, when the mind was kind of operating out of its habitual conditioning, conditional tendencies, that's the groove that was followed. That was well-worn, a well-conditioned groove. And yet the, um, the practice of mindfulness and wisdom, bringing attention to bear on the experience, had a very powerful, different conditioning. And in certain moments, the, the, the ability of the mind to see clearly into the present moment was a condition and a cause for that suffering to not arise. And so there is um, the causality. I understand, uh, my understanding of causality and the conditionality is kind of like the, the streams or threads of conditioning of our lives, the, the habits, the patterns, the beliefs, the views, all of that that comes in. And given that we are not particularly... Um, uh, mindful in a moment or not particularly aware, those patterns are going to be, they're going to be unfolding. And in a moment, um, we, can, we can begin to see how a particular, um, that how that conditioning comes to bear on something. And in the moment, there is a cause in the moment for something to arise when mindfulness is not present, that cause for suffering to arise, for self-hatred to arise, for anger, confusion, uh, any unwholesome state to arise, the cause in the moment is ignorance, delusion. We can, we can, we can begin to understand and see this, how how a certain um, certain um, conditions affect us, but then there's in a moment something happening in this moment that in this moment, because we are ignorant, because our ignorance, our mindfulness isn't present, or we are clearly seeing, if we're clearly seeing that that arising experience, those conditions, 
may take us a completely different direction. And so there's causality, conditionality. And then there's this, um, there's a, a kind of a notion of co-arising. And in fact, the term paticca samupada, um, which is the often translated as dependent origination, um, The sum, the paticca, um, I think that part means something like uh, conditions or something like that. And the sam upada part, the upada is arising and the sam part means with. So some upada, more, more um, accurately translated, is something like dependent co-arising. And this is the understanding of when something is, something else is. They arise together. This is another form of what we could call conditionality. When this is, that is. And again, one of the key factors in dependent origination and what I think a big piece of what this points to is that when ignorance is present the entire the entirety of those 12 links are arising simultaneously it's not that when when ignorance is present that that something happens and then something happens and then something happens and then there's feeling and then something happens it's like when ignorance is arising feeling and craving are happening when ignorance is arising suffering is happening and this i think this is an important aspect of this teaching So the I'm kind of doing we're doing a broad kind of review of some key themes here around a dependent origination. Another theme around dependent origination is that um, the teachings in both the suttas and the commentaries uh, support a couple of different understandings of dependent origination. One understanding being that this process of conditioning and the unfolding of um, you know, ignorance, mental formations, uh, they're not only conditioning in this moment, it's not only a co-arising kind of conditioning, but it also conditions forward into our future our and our you know the way we can see we can see our past coming into the present through how we have been in the past and the um, the the uh, present affects the future through how we are now and so the there's one way of understanding this chain of dependent origination in that there are um, aspects of experience, like it, sometimes it's 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 described as being a three-life um, model, like the the, f- the links of ignorance, um, mental formations, and consciousness from our past life will affect how we are in this life, and so conditioning from our past affects how we are in this life, and even. And and then and how we are in this life, the unfolding of what's happening in this life, will have forward-reaching uh, effects into future lives. And so there is an understanding that this teaching uh, operates on a vast scale in our minds. It's one way it's talked about one in, 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 the, in the teachings and in the commentaries it is explored in this way of it operating over days, decades, and lifetimes. And so an ignorance that happened 
25 years ago or a mental formation, a situation that happens, happened 25, 30 years ago when we were kids or when we were young adults. Something about that experience, the conditioning power of that, may come into the present moment somehow. Maybe through the arising of a thought and a, or a memory. Or maybe through some other like reachings of the work of karma and intention that you know that that uh, event 25 years ago set into motion chains of events outside us in the world that somehow then we we like walk back into the 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 ripple effects of that and it affects us so the, the the teaching of dependent origination is understood as it operating on a vast scale and it is also described and understood as operating on a momentary scale. Momentary. And this is the understanding I think I mentioned about you know, the when ignorance is arising in this moment, already the other links are arising in this moment. When ignorance is arising, selfing is happening. When ignorance is arising, suffering is happening. And when ignorance is arising, we may be completely unaware that we are suffering. And so this, this perspective of like, the co-arising, the, the moment-to-moment unfolding of this patterning of how suffering comes to be, this aspect of the teaching is, um, is very inspiring to me in terms of uh, having seen it at work in simple ways, even just little bits of this chain, seeing little bits of this chain unfolding in the present moment has had a very powerful deconditioning effect on the mind, deconditioning suffering. And so, as the Buddha says, this is a profound teaching, and it is through not understanding this teaching that we remain caught. As we understand it, not intellectually, but directly in experience, the mind begins to free, to become free, to release. And so these links of the chain, ignorance, conditions, mental formations, with mental formation as condition, consciousness comes to be. With consciousness as condition, mental and physical processes, mind and body come to be. With the mind and body processes, the six sense bases come to be. Contact, feeling, cra- craving, clinging, becoming, birth, old age and death. And we talked just about the part from we have a mind and body. Because of that, we've, and we've got these sense bases. We experience sense contact. Based on contact, there's feeling. Feeling tends to lead to craving. Craving to clinging. Clinging to becoming. And becoming to full-blown identification. And on to suffering. One aspect of this um, teaching that is, it's implicit in some places, but not so explicit, is that there is a kind of a, a cyclic nature to this chain of dependent origination. That with suffering as condition, there's one place in the, in the um, text where the Buddha says, suffering, I tell you, leads to bewilderment or search. We either get confused, caught, ignorance arises. Or perhaps there is a kind of a question. The Buddha framed this question as, Does anyone know a thing or two about suffering? Might somebody know something about suffering? 
when we experience suffering, having this sense of a question, is there a way to become free of this suffering? That was the Buddha's own question, the own, his own question that motivated him. And so suffering in his experience led him to this search. And it is, um, it is said that um, in, some, in, in the commentaries that it might be more modern commentaries that um, one of the conditions for suffering to lead rather than back to ignorance, kind of hitting back to the beginning of that chain of dependent origination so we, we've got we've gone through those set of links and ended up with the mass of suffering being born. And if there is simply the usual response to suffering, of bewilderment, we just head back into ignorance, back into that whole chain. And so there's a cyclic nature to that chain, and yet not necessarily because there's this point where if we have some curiosity and uh, one of, um, I think it's Bhikkhu Bodhi says that if in that moment of experiencing suffering there is contact with a teaching that says yes, there is a way out of this suffering. There's a kind of a spurring of interest that may head us in a completely different direction. And so we are not necessarily bound in this cycle forever. When we encounter the teachings of freedom, the teachings, in this case we're exploring the teachings of the Buddha, what he had to offer about freedom, that can head us. There's another teaching, transcendent dependent origination, where when suffering Suffering can condition faith when we hear a teaching that proclaims freedom is possible. Then that suffering, instead of leading to ignorance, can lead to faith, which can lead us onward to exploring the teachings. There's a, a whole uh, teaching that Transcendent Dependent Origination that describes 12 links from suffering to freedom. And that's what I'll explore tomorrow. And so suffering often conditions ignorance. And so we're having, having you know, seen how suffering can be created through feeling, leading to craving, to clinging, to becoming, to birth. S having seen that kind of process unfold and then suffering. Suffering can lead us right back into ignorance. And so at the beginning of this chain, ignorance is at the head and I think it's put there because it is the key factor, as I said. Ignorance. When ignorance arises, the others co-arise with it. And so with ignorance as condition, mental formations come to be. Mental formations, as we talked about the other day, are all of those uh, st states of mind that have some kind of intentionality to them. Maybe not conscious intentionality. But these are, these are states, you know, all, almost any mind state, aside from feeling and perception and consciousness, and those aren't so much mind states, they're factors that come into a state of mind, functions in the mind, are mind states, anger, frustration, irritation, confusion, boredom, 
pride, arrogance, wanting, fear, aversion, mindfulness, calm, tranquility, equanimity, love, joy, patience, delight, concentration, all are mental formations. And yet, um, here we're looking at what, so with ignorance is conditioned, mental formations come to be. What mental formations come to be when ignorance is present? Generally, these are our our, our habits, our reactivities. When ignorance is present, when we don't understand suffering, and this is the key definition of ignorance that's described in the texts. What is ignorance? Ignorance is not understanding suffering, not understanding the arising of suffering, not understanding the ending of suffering, not understanding the way leading to the ending of suffering. And so the ignorance here is about not understanding suffering. We fundamentally have beliefs that run counter to um, freeing the mind, run counter to the, uh, the possibility for happiness, the, the happiness of release, the happiness of letting go our beliefs, with ignorance that this, the, the bel- this is essentially the, uh, the delusion. We talked about delusion the other day and the beliefs that are present in delusion. This is, this is the, um, the conditioning power of belief. Belief, too, is a mental formation. Ignorance is a mental formation. So it's interesting to, s- to note that, that what it's saying here is that ignorance as a mental formation conditions other mental formations. And we talked about that the other day, how the mental formations are the constructors of our experience. And so we have, through the not understanding suffering, through the belief that getting what I want will make me happy, getting rid of what I don't want will make me happy. That just really flawed understanding. Our actions, our um, views, our emotions kind of all follow from that. And so we have mental formations of reactive reactivity that are conditioned by ignorance. And ignorance, uh, mental formations then, you know, the the next two links in the chain. So we have ignorance conditions mental formations. And then um, mental formations condition consciousness, consciousness conditioning um, mind and body. So mental formations, sankhara, the Pali, conditioning uh, vijnana, consciousness, and nama rupa, mind and body. And the, that, that pair of consciousness and nama, uh, vijnana, nama rupa, consciousness and mind and body, though that pair together are 
understood to be basically the five aggregates, the processes of the five aggregates. We've talked about that a little bit. So consciousness and mind and body processes includes the knowing, the feeling, the perceiving, the mental formations, and the body processes. And so here, this is the... um, Uh, in this place in the chain of dependent origination, it's pointing to mental formations based in ignorance are going to condition our minds and bodies. And I I touched on this the other day when I pointed to a paragraph in the suttas that describes these constructors, these mental formations. What do they form? What do mental formations form? They form body. They form feeling. They form perception. They form formations. They form consciousness. And so this this, uh, point in the link of dependent origination, I think, is speaking to that conditioning power of mental formations. So our intentional actions construct and condition our, our mind, the mental processes, the knowing, and our bodies. So these mental formations, they have come to be through ignorance, but in talking about this in this moment, you know, it sounds like we're just talking about this being kind of independent of every other being. You know, it's like ignorance arises in this body and mind and conditions mental formations in this body and mind. But we are not so independent as that. Our ignorance, our mental formations, our conditioning, how we receive our views, our opinions, our ideas, how our mental formations come to be is not simply an independent process happening in here. We are conditioned by our cultures, by our families. And again, I talked about this the other day, the the views with delusion come from many sources. And so there's a kind of we can, we can think of perhaps um, mental formations as being not just happening in here, but in the collective of our cultures. And we just absorb, we absorb those views, those, those kinds of mental formations. We take them in and it's just like, well, this is the way it is. And so it's pretty hard to see those as views. Again, views, beliefs, agendas, these are all mental formations too. It's not just our emotional states. And I think really the delusion, the ignorance is based in view belief and not seeing view and belief as belief. And when these views and beliefs come in through a collective, when these views and beliefs come in through people we are surrounded by, really hard to see those as views because everyone shares Everyone we are associating with, intend to associate with, shares those views. So hard to see them as a perspective or as a view. They are seen as truth. And so many of these collective perspectives and beliefs, This, the, these so many of these collective perspectives and beliefs do create real suffering in the world. Views around you know, race and I mentioned these the other day, ableism and economic status, class, gender, 
our views about these have real impact on the world, create real objective suffering in the world. And so ignorance conditions mental formations. The ignorance of the collective comes into that. The mental formations of the collectives, the views, the beliefs, and we churn ourselves internally. How we respond and react and meet experience, we create, we have our own constructions that also come into play. And so with mental formations as condition, consciousness comes to be. And again, this, um, I can point back to something we said, I said earlier, kind of move through this a little quickly. It's like, when we have particular perspectives, when we have views, ideas, even agendas, that conditions what we know and what we don't know. Not, not, what I mean, what I mean there is what is, what is received into consciousness, what is actually met by our senses. Certain experiences are, come into our consciousness. Other experiences just don't make it. Based on our mental formations. I talked about this, that our, our sense experience is not simply kind of like, you know, our eyes are not like cameras recording experience, our ears not like uh, microphones recording experience and kind of having everything there for recall. It's much more active and dynamic than that. Sometimes as we receive experience, there are certain things that we simply are not aware of because of a perspective in our minds. And I mentioned the gorilla on the basketball, in the basketball study. That's an example of an agenda conditioning consciousness. <coughs> the agenda conditioned consciousness. Certain aspects of that video were available to me known, others not. Watching the basketball pass between people, that was available to conscious awareness. The gorilla was not known. So this, this kind of, you know, so, so some things come into consciousness, some things don't. Our mental formations condition what we are aware of. And our mental formations tend to condition us towards confirming, reifying, reinforcing what our mental formations are, are already. And so the cycle tends to perpetuate itself. We have views, opinions, beliefs, ideas. We take in information, confirmation bias, the word of the year, perhaps, words of the year, <laughs> confirmation bias. We tend to take in information that confirms our perspective. That's what's let in. That's what's known. Our, our minds are very active in terms of taking in information and not taking in other information. This is my understanding of mental formations, conditions, consciousness. And consciousness then in turn conditions all of those other processes. And actually there's a place in the suttas where it really is, it's, it's, it's a co-conditioning between consciousness and all of the other four aggregates. So consciousness conditions, uh, uh, body, feeling, perception, mental formations, mental formations, perception, feeling, body condition, consciousness. So they're really tightly connected. There's in fact one teaching of dependent origination where the Buddha didn't um, start at ignorance. He started at this kind of back and forth cycle where he, you know, he, he actually kind of went backwards and he's like, well, what conditions that and what conditions that? And at some point it's like, oh, um, the uh, mind and body and mind condition consciousness. And what conditions consciousness? Oh, body and mind. 
And what conditions body and mind? Oh, consciousness. It's like, oh, they condition each other. And essentially that, that conditioning is like a little mini representation of dependent origination right there. Consciousness conditions all of those others and all of those others condition consciousness. And when ignorance is happening, it tends to stay stuck in suffering. That whole mind-body process tends to stay stuck in suffering when there's ignorance in the mind about suffering. And so, and yet in the, the, it's kind of broken out here. So consciousness conditions, conditions mind and body. And again, this is, this is looking at what we take in, what we are consciously aware of, which is conditioned by mental formations. What we take in then it further conditions how our body is, how our mind is. And so we have that um, co-conditioning between consciousness and nama rupa, mentality, mind and body. And so now we're back to the place where we started yesterday, where I started, okay, yep, we got this body, we got this mind. We're taking in sight, sounds, smells. All this is happening. Feeling happens. And yet we can see now that where it started maybe feeling a place kind of neutral yesterday. Oh yeah, there's seeing happening. Now we begin to see that seeing is not simply happening in a very neutral way. It is already being conditioned by our history is already being conditioned by whether ignorance is present in the mind. And so we're not just simply seeing. We are seeing based on a whole history. And ignorance is part of that conditioning often. So our filters, our agendas, our beliefs, our views influence the actual act of seeing, of hearing. How we take things in. And so this brings me back to the Honeyball Sutta that I talked about yesterday, you know, the kind of the alternative perspective on this process. Yesterday we explored, again, this kind of piece that we looked at, based on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of those three is contact, so we have contact. With consciousness as condition, there's feeling. What one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. And we talked about the, the kind of the creation of this, not just a kind of spreading of ideas there, but also the kind of root of um, misapprehension happening here that when we perceive something, there tends to be this delusive process at work that uh, picks it up and believes it to be a thing. It's kind of a, a reification. And so the Honeyball Sutta continues also. So, with what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset one with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. And again, this is repeated for all of the sun spaces. So it's not just the eye that's impacted here. It's all of our system. And so given that reification, that conceptualization, we can think of it as the believing of what we are experiencing as having some inherent reality, not understanding, misapprehending, that what we are experiencing is a construct of the mind and not the actuality of experience. That's kind of my basic understanding of what papancha is, is that misapprehension, that misunderstanding. 
And here it points to that misunderstanding. Because of that misunderstanding, or through that misunderstanding, then we, uh, we, um, whatever happens in our experience, we are seeing things through that lens. We are, we are interpreting our experience through this lens of saying this, through that lens of this concept, this belief is reality. And so an example of this, um, you know, the, the, the many kinds of beliefs that this can happen around, but, you know, just the, the ones that are most mm, uh, emotional, perhaps, for us are our, our real strong habits, patterns. And these habits and patterns, they're, they're deeply conditioned and so they tend to habitually arise, but they also are deeply believed. We often deeply believe them. And so self-hatred, for instance, we, in my experience, I began uncovering the deep belief that underlay the feeling of self-hatred, of unworthiness. I, I am an unworthy being. I am not worthy. I'm somehow flawed. That is a belief. And so that belief being kind of taken to be who I am, any perception, any, uh, any feeling that comes in, any thought that comes in, is being kind of um, filtered through that belief reinforcing that belief, further conditioning its presence. And so our, you know, our ideas, our beliefs become the lens, become how we meet reality. Is what we, we essentially don't understand the difference between our concepts and reality. We take our concepts to be reality. And because of that misunderstanding, there's the tumbling on of that belief, of that reactivity. As I mentioned this morning, just a reminder of the, the way our beliefs are so embedded in our suffering, our concepts, our ideas. And then as we really start to look at our what's happening, you know, in this, you know, and for instance, looking at that feeling craving link again, you know, the feeling craving link there, we hear a sound and we take that sound to be unpleasant. That there's a kind of a belief there. There's a reification of the belief that sound is unpleasant. And we're not seeing that as a belief, and we're also not seeing kind of a whole set of ideas uh, that come into the making of the unpleasantness. That sound shouldn't be happening. Person shouldn't be making that sound, whatever those kinds of thoughts are. So those beliefs create the unpleasantness, another, f- another kind of unpleasantness. So there's sound coming in the ear. The sound actually may not be the unpleasantness we're reacting to. I would say the vast majority of our reactivity, if not all of it, is constructed based on beliefs, views, ideas in the mind. What we are clinging to when we like something 
we actually can't cling to a thing because things are so rapidly changing. There's nothing to cling to. But we can cling to a concept. We can cling to an idea. And that's what we cling to. That idea that it's going to be so great, that idea of the having, we cling to that. So we are clinging to an idea, a construct of our own minds. This can be seen. And the seeing of this, actually, the, the, the recognition of whether it's something pleasant or unpleasant, the recognition that the thing that we are averse to is a construction of our own minds is very freeing. Because seeing that, seeing that our minds have constructed the thing that we want to get rid of, or our minds are constructing a belief that is unpleasant and that we somehow think we need to do something about, we see that it's something in our own minds that is, and again, it's ignorance there that is uh, having us believe that there is something to cling to. That's that, that's that ignorance at the root of this chain. That when we see that it's, our, it's something in our own minds that is being created, construct, it's a construct of our own minds that we're clinging to. And the clinging is suffering. The creation, the constructing is suffering there. And the mind begins to recognize, this is not useful. And the mind understands it is possible to let this go because this construct is constructed in this, in this mind. So the seeing of it begins to support the mind orienting in a completely new direction. And so this is how mindfulness comes in. The teaching of the teaching of wisdom, the teaching of freedom is possible. That becomes a condition and we start to be curious about our experience. And then in moments we begin to see how ignorance works, and maybe see at times a falling away of certain kinds of ignorance and get a taste of how there's a completely different possibility. Not caught on that cycle, that chain. And again, the, the ignorance being at the root of this whole chain it is ignorance, really, that is where, my, my, my sense is really, it is ignorance, it is the uprooting of ignorance that breaks this chain. The seeing in a moment, wherever it is, whatever we're noticing, if we're looking at clinging, and I mentioned this yesterday, that the teaching that said we see there is clinging, there is clinging arising, there is clinging ceasing, Noticing the impermanence of clinging, that brings, kind of breaks into the ignorance around suffering related to that link. And wherever we are, whatever we are experiencing, there is the possibility with mindfulness and wisdom to see through ignorance in a moment. And in that seeing through of ignorance, that chain falls apart. Maybe just for a moment we get to experience the release from that. But very powerful, that's a very powerful seeing. And so it is my understanding that it is ignorance that is really the key here. 
And wisdom is the antidote to ignorance. The wisdom comes in to start. It's like we don't just get the deep wisdom all in one kind of big bang. I used to think it was going to be like that. You know, I just sit and someday I'll wake up. And it's, it's much more gradual. It, 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 wisdom comes in through hearing and reading and, and then thinking about it. How does it make sense to me? And so our minds engage with wisdom. And through that engagement, that's a condition that encourages us to actually begin to engage with the practice, which is where the actual seeing where wisdom can actually, in the moment, wisdom sees ignorance and releases it. And yet it's a process. It is a gradual process, the full freedom from ignorance. You know, and we see we see certain patterns of delusion and and then for a little while we we might be like wow it seems so obvious how the mind creates its own suffering and and through that seeing it creates not only the suffering but what we're suffering about and suddenly it's like for some stretch of time maybe minutes or maybe even something as long as an hour it's like Wow, it's so obvious. And the mind is just letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. Not constructing suffering. Maybe not even letting go. Maybe just released, released non-suffering. We experience non-suffering for some stretch of time. The seeing, understanding of how it functions. One t- at one point I felt like somebody was whispering in my ear. You know, some, it's like, you know, that's dukkha, that's dukkha, free, free. It was so joyful. And I thought I'd figured it out. (laughs) And, you know, delusion is very powerful. We see through something because conditions come together for us to see through it. And yet there are mounds and mounds and mounds. Practice, practice. We have practiced. We have practiced the defilements for so long. That one kind of seeing through in a moment may let us see through it for a while. But then the mindfulness weakens and the habit reemerges. It's not that we've done something wrong. It's just the way this process works. And yet, in that, having seen through it, we now can be much more clear about, oh, that, that misunderstanding, that misapprehension is happening right now. And, and there's an, a recognition, yeah, believing is happening right now. Believing that thought That's what's happening right now. And yet we can know that and recognize, yep, that's being believed. And there's some part of the mind that understands that's delusion. It's not a powerful enough wisdom to break that delusion, but it's a powerful enough wisdom to recognize it as delusion. So it's a gradual, it's a gradual weakening of delusion, a gradual letting go. And the path, the path towards freedom is this practice starting with that sense of inspiration of faith. Faith that it is possible. And that sets us on a different, in a different, it charts a different course for our lives. 
even as we still watch this cycle unfold over and over again. And yet as we really kind of understand that we are on the path, that there's a confidence there, a confidence that, yeah, this, this, this path, this teaching, this wisdom can meet all of that dukkha, all of that suffering, and it will allow its release. That's the direction it's going. Slant, slope, incline towards freedom. So let's sit for a moment. 